0: Hello, thanks for joining us for this third in a series of podcasts from the Royal College of Anaesthetists looking at the introduction of the 2021 curriculum for a CCT in anaesthesia. My name is Dr Oliver Pratt, I'm a consultant anaesthetist in Salford and a training programme director in the North West School of Anaesthesia. This podcast today looks at the assessment strategy that's associated with the new curriculum. And to make the podcast a little bit more accessible, we've decided to split it into two parts. I'm joined by uh, the chair of the assessment subgroup, uh, Dr. Joe Budd, who is consultant Neatatist and, and uh, Region Advisor in Birmingham. And I'm also joined by um, another member of the assessment subgroup, Dr. Gethin Pugh, who's a consultant in Cardiff, and one of uh, the associate postgraduate deans for Wales. So thanks both of you for joining us. It's uh, very nice to see you. Um, And this, as I've said, is the third in a series of of podcasts that we're doing around the curriculum. And I've started the first two by asking, what are the main differences between the 2021 curriculum and the 2010 curriculum? So perhaps I could ask each of you, What do you think the main difference will be in terms of the way trainees experience training under the new curriculum? Maybe I'll ask Gethin first.
1: Thank you, Ollie. Um, So I suppose when I think of this question, I am reminded of the curriculum review that was done um, in the middle part of the last decade. And one of the key comments which stood out for me when we were looking at that material, when we were making the changes to assessment back in 2015 was the people very much felt that um, training was almost like a twin track process. And that on one side of that, you had people's everyday training experience. You had the feedback that they had from their trainers. They had their learning. And you had some of their wider professional development as well around quality improvement and team working. But then they felt that there was almost like a second line, which was then where the assessment sat in. And that, that those two lines didn't often interact very well. So they would be moving through their clinical training, they would be feeling that they were developing, but actually alongside that then they would sort of feel that they needed to get a DOPS, a KEX and a CBD, and actually the assessment wasn't doing what it was designed to do. And I think we started to take a step towards improving that with the changes to assessment in 2015, but I think that what people will really notice with a new curriculum that hopefully that has changed significantly. So the breadth of evidence that people can provide to show that they've met the learning outcomes is that much more diverse. And actually, there's a greater opportunity for people to represent what their everyday clinical experience is as part of the curriculum. And I would say that's both in the, in the clinical experience, but also in terms of their own professional development as well, which we know from uh, learners, from leases in training and from trainers, is there some really outstanding examples of what people achieve during those years and I hope that people will find that the new approach feels much more akin to what their everyday training experience is.
2: Well, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, I think people won't notice a a lot of difference between sort of everyday training. You know, I think um, a lot of it would feel very similar with hands on training in theatre. I think what will become apparent and i i guess it'll probably evolve over time a bit is that is the move away from being bound to surgical specialties so you know, the curriculum is very much written in terms of capabilities and higher learning outcomes um, and that's very different from the uh, sort of lists of competencies that were part of the old curriculum and so the the um, domains of training aren't now now fixed to surgical specialties like the units of training were um, and so I think I think it'll take a while for people to get used to that because um, you know you won't be expecting to do orthopedic lists for example but you might be expected to get some um, elements of your training and, and develop your capabilities in an orthopedic list as well as perhaps in a, an ophthalmic list where you do a GA for a, an elderly frail patient so um, I think that 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 difference, I think, will evolve over time. Um, And yes, I think hopefully the difference with the assessment is that it won't feel like, you know, the burden of a set number of assessments that you have to get. um, And I need to do this kex, this dops or whatever in order to get my cut form signed off. Much more it'll be uh, the assessments really uh, just recording the learning conversations that you're having in theatre every day.
0: So you've both touched on the assessment strategy there. So and and I think you've kind of partly answered this already, Gatham. But in broad terms, perhaps, Joe, you'd like to just address what what do you think trainees will notice in terms of changes with respect to assessments?
2: Um, well, the. the... The assessments that you've come to sort of know and love—the um, what we call the workplace best assessments at the moment—the KEX, the DOPS, the CBD—will stay there in, in name and and in in terms of what they're trying to get you to focus on. Um, but the content of them we've we've changed and very much changed so that it reflects um, a process of of formative learning. Uh, so that that the assessment is t- t there to help help uh, the trainee focus on what what they are learning in theater um, and to demonstrate how they're progressing um, and i you know I would hope that they become much more useful things to to complete at the end of a day. I think they will change over time I think you know certainly in the first First years of training, I think there'll be very much more a focus on ACHs and DOPS, and as trainees progress into later stages of training, it'll much be much more focused on CBDS and ALMATS. As um, as you know, the the experience and the and the uh, complexity of cases and the and what we expect the trainees to be doing changes.
0: Bring anything in there, Gethin. Anything that you think you know. Trainees might notice? So,
1: I think I I, I would agree with all those points, perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, But I think the um, other element I would perhaps add is around how we um, evidence things within the curriculum as well. Is that we're very used to using workplace based assessments in the existing curriculum and sort of working to a set formula that people would have to meet. And actually, what the new approach to assessment and the new curriculum allows is. For people to reflect their development as they move through that process and they can do that not just using workplace-based assessment or supervised learning events as they are now but actually using um, personal activities personal reflections which again are elements that happened as part of everyday training already it was just perhaps not as easy to capture them Mm -hmm. in the existing approach as as it is in the new one and what we're hoping is that people will very much allow, given that freedom, to allow to develop um, their own uh, process around their learning as well and use that to reflect that as part of the curriculum. And I suppose the other element to add here is that to acknowledge the components of the genetic professional mm. capabilities. Um, and, and again, as, as an opportunity for people to show where there are areas of um, outstanding engagement in this area, particularly around teamwork quality improvement professionalism, areas which people already contributed to in, in the existing curricula, but allows them to um, represent that much more easily, I would say. And so there's probably a, a greater diversity of approach in the new curriculum, which which really allows the individual to reflect that as part of their learning. Um, so there probably is um, more flexibility for the individual, hopefully.
0: So there's a couple of things there that you've just mentioned that I'd like to just you know, uh, just, just hone in on a little bit. And you, you dropped in this phrase of uh, uh, SLEs. And so workplace-based assessments have, have had a bit of a name change and rebranding, if you like. Can you talk us through the, the thinking behind that?
2: Well, they were, I, I think, you know, we tried this a few years ago, and I'm sure Gethin will agree that uh, when they tried to, when they did a lot of work on revamping the workplace-based assessments some time ago, um, they tried to rename them as Structured Learning Events, but um, that name had, hasn't really stuck. Uh, but we want to make it stick now, because what we want to get away from is, I mean, I think I think workplace-based assessments for for Better or worse, have become rather uh, onerous sometimes, and and uh, people focus on them. You know, That I mean, the IAC is a good example. You've got 19 workplace-based assessments um, to do. There's no really, there's no clear idea whether you start doing them at the beginning or whether you do them at the end. There's no. Um, they're, they're an assessment, but they don't necessarily give the trainer or the trainee an idea of how they're progressing. And we, want to, we wanted to get away from that that sort of burdensome assessment type nomenclature, and really reinstate what these, these um, tools are for, which is for helping uh, helping learning in the workplace. So they're assessments for learning or formative assessments rather than summative assessments or assessments of learning. So that's what we wanted to really re-establish was that these are assessments for learning um, and that should reflect learning in the workplace. So hence the renaming of structured learning events.
1: And I think the, what this sort of reflects is if this isn't unique to us in anaesthetics, this is a process mm-hmm. which has been acknowledged across other specialties as well, is that when these tools were first adopted, um, and for very good reasons at that time, but they didn't necessarily have the impact or were or, or adopted or used in the way in which they were necessarily mm-hmm. intended. And therefore I think it's, it's the right time really for us to then with a new curriculum to take the opportunity to look and see what we've learned about how we use these sorts of tools as part of learning and how we can update them to really help them to capture those professional discussions that we know already happen. So that thinking about the two tracks that we started at the beginning is to try and bring those together so that people, rather than seeing them as a way of sort of saving up until I've had a sort of a perceived good performance and I might want to capture that and record it, but actually capture the learning element of it as well. So what did I learn about today? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can I use that then to inform on, on what I would do next? And, and again, I suppose that's one of the elements which we started to do in 2015, but people hopefully will feel a much bigger step towards now. Um, and and very much we are hoping that both trainers and and assist in training will will welcome that. Um, and we'll use them in the way that, that, that is hoped, probably hoped way back when they first came in, that they were designed to do for learning.
0: Mm. I think as a trainer I've I've often found it very frustrating that they have become this, uh, the workplace-based assessments that we've used previously have become very much a tick box, I have to have mm-hmm. one in order to get signed off. And, and in actual fact if you use them in your theatre day as they're intended, then really what they're doing is, you know, taking a snapshot of where the trainee is now yeah. what you've learned throughout the day, what you might think of as learning objectives going forward. They're actually very useful tools, and hopefully, now we've taken away the, the required number, they will hopefully be used a little bit more like yeah. that. But I think I guess it involves a bit of a, a you know a, a, a refreshing of the mindset of trainers as well, uh, just yeah. to see them to be used like that and not to see them as 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 annoying or a bit of a pain, something I've got to fill in at the end of the list.
2: Well, we'd hope that um, the way we've reworded the boxes on it will really encourage that, because it, 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 you know, the boxes are literally, you know, what have you talked about with your trainer, and then the trainer saying, well, uh, what what pointers do I have to to point this trainee in the direction to to uh, getting better experience or improving their performance or whatever, um, and so so they should be really a, a record of what you've you've talked about rather than you know what went well, what didn't go so well and that, that becomes sort of quite hard to fill in sometimes, you know, I mean having been you know, having done quite a lot, you know, sometimes you think, I I don't know what they could have done better. They were quite good, you know. So we want to make want is it to make the boxes very straightforward to fill in, um, but also very useful to both the, the trainee and the trainer.
0: If I can ask you about one of those boxes, then so the, it feels like in many of these there's a focus on levels of entrustment or supervision, uh, with trainers being asked to comment on what they consider to be an appropriate level of supervision for a trainee. What's the rationale behind that? The
2: the, the new curriculum is is as I say is outcomes based, and within that's a, a list of capabilities that support the outcomes. So the supervision level really demonstrates. How the trainee is progressing towards achieving that capability. Um, so, you know, you could think of an example, and pra- practical procedures are quite a good example to think about. So, if you say, you know, if you look in regional in stage one, um, there's performs a spinal for an ASA one to three patient independently, uh, and we su- have put a suggested supervision level of three. Um, so, a trainee a trainee will be starting um to learn the skill of of a spinal um, and the first one they will need somebody there to give them su- uh, hands-on supervision um but that the discussion of that pro uh, that that uh, procedure and how the trainee has, has uh you know progressed it or no how have the trainees performed it and what they need to progress will be able to be depicted with using the supervision level. So the trainee will start with a supervision level of one. In other words, the trainer has to be there and progress through to 2A, where perhaps the trainer is standing outside the door and letting them get on with it, to 2B, where the trainer might be in the coffee room, uh, through to a supervision level of three, where the trainer doesn't need to be hands-on or and can be somewhere else, home or somewhere quite distance. In other words, the, the trainee is doing it independently. So the use of the supervision level there really shows how the trainee is progressing from not being able to do the, the procedure without hands-on help to being able to do it um, <clears throat> with the supervisor some distance away and not there to, to to sort of oversee what they're doing. And that that's what the supervision levels will do in clinical practice.
1: The, um, again, I think this is another area where the approach to assessment is a step forward from what we already have in the 2010 approach. We are, so we already have um, what we call level of independence um, in the existing curriculum with a supervisor in theatre and so on. And again, what quite understandably, when those forms then were first adopted is that many then were completed as supervisor in theatre. because. Understandably, that's where the supervisor was when the form was um, actually completed. And by the movement towards supervision levels, what that is, is again, is a, a chance for us to sort of revisit that and say, oh, actually, if you're completing the level of supervision, what we're asking trainers to do, um, and that would include senior trainees as well, if they're supervising someone at an earlier stage of training, is not what was the level of supervision that was there when the assessment was completed, but what level of supervision would be required if that procedure or that case was repeated right here, right now. So then it gives the individual, the learner as well, feedback on how they are developing themselves. And as part of that, what they might need to do to uh, move along that supervision level as well to where they might want to be.
2: And and it can it can show it can demonstrate both to the trainee and to the trainer how the trainee is progressing, and <clears throat> you know this might be quite pertinent in the um, initial period of training, so from novice to um, finish, completing the IAC. You know some trainees progress very rapidly, um, and some take a bit longer. And and the use of the supervision level gives you a really Clear idea of the, of which trainees are progressing very fast and which trainees need a bit a bit more help and are progressing not quite so fast.
0: And I think it's it's also important probably to remember, isn't it, for trainers that by, you know, that 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 supervision level relates, as you said, getting to sort of right here, right now. So if we're mm. about again now, uh, th- this is what level of supervision I would recommend. But what you're not saying by signing a supervision level, you're not saying that this patient is okay to do laparotomies by themselves forever more because I think some trainers might Mm. be a bit nervous about somehow seeing a a supervision level as some in some way signing off a trainee to do something and I don't think that's the case.
2: No it's not the driving test thing it's not you're not the driving test uh, examiner (laughs) you're you're just you know, just commenting, you're the driving instructor, you're commenting on their performance during their process of learning to drive. You're not the driving tester yeah. saying that they've passed their test and now they can go onto the road.
1: That's an <laughs> important point, isn't it? Because I think mm. that's, again, something which is important for us to communicate to others, is that that's the purpose of it, that it's designed to be developmental. It, it isn't a test. Um, and it's informative, but to both the learner and, and the supervisor um, when they're completing that part of the form. Because I, I agree with you, Ollie. I think I think that's, that is is perhaps what people might think that it, that it means when they complete it, especially when this is all can have an air of feeling all very new.
0: Guys, I'm going to draw it to a close there. Thank you both very much for giving up time on a sunny afternoon to talk about the assessment strategy. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope you found it helpful.
1: Thank you for listening to this Royal College of Anethetists podcast. Make sure you don't miss out on the latest episodes by clicking subscribe on your favourite podcatcher. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you give us a review. It helps others find our podcast. And finally, if you would like to access more podcasts, as well as videos, e-learning, webinars, and our programme of events and causes, you can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education. We hope to see you again soon.